Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian, former NFL scout and now of Sports Info Solutions, joined by Aaron Schatz, the godfather of football analytics and the founder of Football Outsiders. We've got our producer, Justin Stein, with us, and we are here to break down the Super Bowl. We're just kind of uh, uh, winging it today. We don't have most important games of the week to break down because there are no more games this week. Before we get into our reactions, I want to start off with this clip. This is from February 20th of 2020, so about a year ago. 14% of FO readers picked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as next year's surprise playoff team. I love, love, love this one. This is my favorite pick. And I think it's because nobody realizes it, but this was an all-time great run defense team last year. And I think somehow just because they played in such high scoring games, but so many turnovers from their quarterback. And yes, I get the question. We don't know what to make of Jameis Winston or whoever their quarterback's going to be. But low key, they developed a really efficient defense in the meantime. And their receivers are as good as any in the NFL. So coming back to those headline numbers, seven actual wins, 8.2 Pythagorean wins, and 11.7 SIS war expected wins. 11.7? SIS war absolutely loved their receivers, liked their offensive line, and loved their defense. Um, So despite no production from the tight end position and uh, not really liking what they did at the quarterback position so much with all those interceptions, SIS war really liked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, I guess they addressed the quarterback and the tight end position, huh, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, uh, two Hall of Famers will pretty much do it for you. I guess uh, good call on that by Tampa Bay. Good call by SIS. Good call by the Football Outsiders readers. Yeah, I mean, this was a team that we knew had a lot of talent. And it's why, I mean, it's why as amazing as Brady winning seven Super Bowls is, Like, remember, this was a team effort, not just a Brady effort. And that team has a ton of talent. And they had a ton of talent last year, but their quarterback just kept giving the ball to the other team. This year, that was not a problem. Yeah, I'll give the the Football Outsiders readers and the SIS war metric some credit, but no credit to me. A week ago, I thought the Chiefs were going to win. That's the other thing. First of all, I think when we looked at this game, we would have both agreed that we saw either a close game or a Kansas City blowout. We, I think we said on the podcast last week, I couldn't imagine the Bucks winning in a blowout. That was, I think, literally what I said. <laughs> the other thing is, you don't take, don't take everything from just one game, but what this suggested is that flip the switch theory was wrong. Right. Kansas City was just a team like any other team. I feel a little embarrassed that I questioned my own numbers so much. I felt a little bit of peer pressure from the rest of the analytics community, honestly, where everybody in the rest of the analytics community was like, if you don't have Kansas City number one, you're a moron. And I felt some peer pressure from that. But the fact is, Tampa Bay has been better than its record all year long. And Kansas City has been not as good as its record all year long. And we thought that maybe Kansas City had changed things. but Certainly the offensive line injuries that they had, you know, it just, the problem with the offensive line is the cascade effect. For every player you lose, you get more holes and more holes and you can't cover up the holes. And like, this was one player too much because it was the same linemen. Four of the five linemen who played in the Super Bowl played against Buffalo the week before, uh, two weeks before, and were fine. But by making that one change and then moving a couple of guys' positions, 
And the Bucks were on the other team. Yeah, it was not. But it wasn't just like, oh, it was a little bit worse. It, the amount worse that they were was not equal to the difference between the Buffalo defensive line and the Tampa defensive line for the rest of the year. It was like a just cascade effect where, oh, my God, were they worse? Right. It, it, it really, The wheels really came off in that game. And I, I mean, people turned it off in the second half. If you look at the ratings. And I think that that was a big part of the reason why. But Aside from, it, you know, it didn't go exactly how we expected, but the mechanisms of what went on, there's a lot of stuff that really makes sense and adds up in there, right? The whole thing behind Flip a Switch was they keep winning these games. They're, they're, their defense maybe lets up a little bit when they have a big lead. But when you watch the Chiefs this year, Mahomes was under pressure a lot. The offensive line was never great throughout the entire season, especially the tackle positions. Uh, we talked about Duvernay Tardif and, and him not playing this season. And then Osamele getting injured. And the injuries just kept piling up. And of course, Eric Fisher, I, I mean, nobody's going back and saying, wow, that was a great top draft pick there. But that's an important player for your team when you're going to have to move three offensive line positions. And let's just go back two weeks ago. We saw this happen with the Bucks. We saw them abuse the Packers offensive tackles because they were playing without Bakhtiari. So it's it's not like what happened was so surprising, but for sure, the, the the magnitude of the effect and the way that it was so outsized compared to what we could have expected. I think we all expected that Mahomes would have trouble, but he would overcome it. He always finds a way, right? And we didn't expect the coverage to be so good. I think, in, in a way, we're actually maybe overstating a little bit just how much the offensive line was the problem. Because the thing is, that the offensive line was a problem for most of the year, but Mahomes had such quick reads that he would instantly find a guy open, and so it wasn't a problem. And Tampa Bay's coverage, by playing dime a lot of the time, which they didn't play for most of the year, by keeping two safeties back all the time, by not blitzing, even though Todd Bowles loves to blitz, and by David and White playing great in the middle of the field, they always took that quick read away. He would go for that first quick read. It wouldn't be there. He'd have to hold on to the ball. So by the time he'd held up, by the time he was done looking for that quick read, the defenders were through the offensive line and then he was running for his life. I have not seen a guy run backwards that much in a game since Aaron Brooks. Again, if you watch the whole year, you saw evidence of this. You would see times where if you were going to get concerned about something with Mahomes, it was the drifting and, and it was kind of, like we said, the tackles and what was going on. I agree with you a thousand percent that we can't look at football as just either coverage or pass rush. It's not like one exists without the other. So you're hundred percent right. That taking away that early read was a huge key there. The thing that I saw floating around that I thought was a little bit silly was trying to say that because Mahomes was holding the ball for whatever average number of seconds, that somehow that was an argument that the offensive line actually played bre better than they looked. I think that if that's, if that's the way that, people are looking at things, then we need to reevaluate what our stats are telling us because average time to throw is, is just an average. It's just that there's no sense of the distribution in there. There's no sense of when it was a seven step drop or a one step drop. Average time to throw is not a better or worse step. It's a descriptive step. It helps explain what's going on, but it doesn't necessarily say better or worse. If Mahomes drops back and he gets pressure within two seconds and then he ends up holding the ball for five seconds because he's running around 499 yards or whatever it was, that's not really good blocking just because he held the ball for five seconds. The offensive line was absolutely And the terrible. whole offensive line, not just the tackles, like the guards, like the guys who've been playing for weeks, like Allegretti. Yep. 
it was just an atrocious. And then the other thing I'm going to say about the flip the switch argument is that the flip the switch argument was both sides of the ball, right? Like the defense played two of its best games of the season in the playoffs. And while the defense was not as bad in the Super Bowl as the offense was, there also was no flipping of the switch. The Kansas City defense went back to the defense that they'd been all season, which was a slightly below average defense. They couldn't stop the run. It's really hard to repeat. It's really hard to flip the switch. I don't I think we still have never seen that in the NFL, right? By your account. Yeah, I think I think that people said to me, Well, you can't make a judgment about that based on one game. It's just a one game sample size. Well, okay. The sample size is actually all of NFL history, <laughs> right? The sample size is that in all of NFL history, sure there have been upsets, but in general, like let's not even talk about DVOA. Point differential tells us more about how good teams are than just wins and losses. And that has been true throughout NFL history. And Kansas City was supposed to be the team that disproved that, and they're not. I do want to uh, turn back to the stats real quick uh, because we've we've discussed how DVOA really liked the Bucks. We talked about this midway through the season when it really looked like they were struggling. All the credit in the world to DVOA for, for being able to see that they were playing really well. I actually looked into SIS War after after listening to that clip from last year, and SIS War also loved the Bucks this year. There's something about the way that that they're built, the way that they played this year, that both of our systems really liked, and it ended up carrying them to the Super Bowl. They were losing close games to good teams, so it's not like they were playing badly. Total points when you look at these two quarterbacks will actually tell you that Patrick Mahomes outplayed Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Now that is going to be a controversial take because. Mahomes on passes had negative 13 expected points added. Tom Brady on passes had two expected points added, positive two. So you have one quarterback that played above average, one quarterback that played way below average. When you look at how well the team's passing offenses performed, in terms of what actually happened within the game, obviously we talked about how pressured Mahomes was getting. How about some of the throws that he's made that are hitting guys in the face mask while he's parallel with the ground uh, <laughs> throwing it down the field? He, I think that total points is right here. I'm not going to go and start making the case that you know he should actually be the Super Bowl MVP or, or that was his best game of the year. That certainly wasn't Mahomes at his best. But that goes back to what you said earlier in the podcast about this being a team sport. If you put Mahomes on the Bucks, they win by how many points, right? Like it's, it's an incredible blowout in, in, in that direction, probably even more than it was the way that it went with Brady. So as much as everybody wants to make a big deal about Brady, and I get how, when you're not as inside football as we are, that can be a, an easy narrative to take. And I do want to give Brady credit and I want to get into the fit of Brady and Tampa and how that, and how that played out this year with you. But when we actually think about who's making the throws and the situations that they're being put in and what you have to do in order to actually create points for your team to win. This, this was a, a pretty cake game for Brady. He had a, a good game, like, you know, four total points is a, is a solid game. But this was a, a tale of one quarterback who was probably just in an impossible situation that only he could have gotten himself out of. And one that was in about as good a situation. You know, Tom Brady is the best defensive quarterback we've ever seen in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm still good with Brady as MVP because I don't think absolutely one defensive player, no single defensive player. Todd Bowles. You want to give it to Todd Bowles? Yeah. Uh, that, I said it on Twitter. Todd Bowles should be the MVP. Like, was the defense more important to that game than the offense? Yes. Was there any one defensive player who was so – I mean, Devin White had the most tackles, but the interception at the end was meaningless. Totally meaningless. Brady was the most valuable player. 
even though the defense was more valuable than the offense. And I, I mean, look, and again, the thing about Brady is there's appreciating how good Brady is this year compared to other quarterbacks. And then there's appreciating the unbelievable ability of Brady to stay good at the age of 43. And I think there's two, there are two different discussions. The first discussion, you know, he was about equal with Josh Allen in our numbers. And you, you look at, you know, both guys had a lot of help and great receivers and the Tampa Bay offensive line is really good. And I said, you can certainly argue that Deshaun Watson may not have had as much EPA, but you know, he didn't have anywhere near the help that Brady did and yada, yada, yada. Okay. Still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. The second discussion is, oh my God, like nobody's, not only has nobody ever done this, nobody has ever come close to doing this. Nobody has ever come close to coming close to doing this. He is so far ahead of any other NFL player at this age ever that it's astonishing. And I have no explanation for it. And he just keeps adding up to the on more and more career value. I mean, the Super Bowls, the, the wins, the the passing stats are all going to be his pretty soon. There are plenty of people in the analytics community who believe that Peyton Manning is not is is the best quarterback of all time. Sign me up. Sign me up. I think if you look at it the way Bill James did in his historical baseball abstract, there's a difference between the peak greatest of all time and the career greatest of all time. And I don't think you can argue with the idea that Tom Brady is the career greatest of all time because the longevity and how good he's played into his 40s is insane. Yeah, I think I'd rather play a football game. If you talk about peak, I can have any quarterback. There are several quarterbacks that I would take before Tom Brady to have on my team to play that one game. So do I think he's the best quarterback? No, I'd, I'd still put Peyton Manning ahead of him uh, and probably a couple of other people. But who had the best career? There's no argument. There's absolutely no argument. And uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's almost silly to even to even think about just how far far away he is. Now, one thing that he did that Joe Montana couldn't do is make the move to a different team. He made the move to Tampa Bay, and we talked about it when it happened. As this is either going to be a really really difficult situation between Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit, air it out, vertical all the time, and Tom Brady who wants to do everything horizontally and get the ball out of his hands immediately. I think the season played out in a really interesting way. It uh, it started kind of optimistically early in the year. They went through their growing pains. It seemed that Brady at first was really trying to fit more into the Ar Arians offense. And then it totally, as the season went on, just became Brady's offense. I think it was still, they still went deep more than the Patriots had gone deep. So. Yes, yes, absolutely. They're still going. So that's good nuance that you point out there. The offense didn't become New England's offense. But it seemed to start off the season basically being like 90% what, we, what we're accustomed to seeing from Bruce Arians. And when they lost a couple of games because there were turnovers and things like that, and they were asking more of Brady, I think that's when they, they, they went through their growing pains. And then things, I think, really shaped out in a way that, okay, give me my Antonio Brown, give me my Gronk. I want you know that kind of safety blanket so that I think... Brady loves having Gronk because he knows that if he needs him to block, he can have him block. If he needs to make a play, he can have him make a play. That security blanket, I think we saw how that played out in the Super Bowl with Gronk. And the offense, I mean, as it went on, certainly they didn't throw much deep 
during the Super Bowl, but they did take a few shots. He always kept taking the shots. No, in the Super Bowl in particular, they didn't throw deep. For, for much of the season, they were throwing deep even more in the second half of the season than in the first half of the season. But in the Super Bowl, they changed their strategy because of the Kansas City strengths on defense, and they were throwing much shorter. Right. And the Super Bowl, it was just misdirection everywhere, screens, short passes, get the ball out of his hands, and it, and it worked out great. And I think if, if Brady was – I think Brady – had his fingerprints all over that game plan. Lots of Gronk because of the weakness that Kansas City had against tight ends. Never had an answer. Weaker at linebacker. Daniel Sorensen is not the great, greatest cover guy in the world. The thing about Brady at 43 is it's the arm strength and the ability to go deep. That's the most incredible thing. Because his intelligence and ability to read the field and know what defenses are doing. Well, Drew Brees has that too. Roethlisberger has that. Philip Rivers has that. But Breeze and Roethlisberger's arms are spaghetti at this point. And Philip Rivers, he could throw deep some this year. It looks bad, but it gets there somehow. Right. More than Breeze and Roethlisberger, but not as much as Brady. The fact that Brady can still throw the deep ball accurately and with strength at the age of 43 is inconceivable. 43. I'm just flabbergasted uh, just from there, from there alone. It's, uh, it's crazy to think about. Every time they talk about how old Brady is, I have to be like, great, I'm older than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, every, every time for me, it's like, geez, this guy's older than me and he's still doing this? You youngins. I, at this point, I have nobody left in the league who's actually older than me now that Finitary is gone. But you still have Brady. I still have Brady, and then if he ever if he ever retired, hopefully he just keeps playing, and then I never have to get to that point. I mean, the fact is, the odds are that what we've been saying for the last three or four years is still going to happen. There's a cliff, and it's coming. And from the sound of things, Brady will play until it comes. He's not going to retire before it shows up. But for all I know, that cliff is still three years away. It remains to be seen. All right. Before we get out of here, anything else you wanted to finish up with? No, I mean, congratulations to the Bucks. Congratulations to all the Bucks fans. It does show how hard it is to repeat and why it's ridiculous to talk about dynasties before dynasties actually happen. And Tampa Bay is all like, we're going to repeat now. And I mean, are you one of the favorites for next year? Yeah. Are you going to repeat? Probably not. I don't know. I haven't looked at the betting odds. I would assume that the Chiefs are the odds on favorite. I believe the Chiefs are the odds on favorite. I am running way, way, way too early projections uh, later this week that will have Green Bay number one. I believe Kansas City is number one and then Green Bay, Buffalo, Tampa in some combination are the next three. That Mike Pettin variable is always going to be very helpful to the Packers, I'm sure. Hey, offense more consistent than defense. Green Bay was the best offense in the league this year. The 2021 SIS Football Rookie Handbook is coming soon, featuring scouting reports on more than 250 players entering the NFL in 2021. The handbook is a must-read for football fans. The book is written as if you, the reader, are one of the team's decision-makers. We capture every strength and weakness both through scouting and statistical analysis, and we've got the most detailed injury information in the scouting industry. The handbook also features essays on important football topics and provides an in-depth take from the perspective of every position on the field. New this year, it will be available on Kindle. To order the Football Rookie Handbook, go to www.actasports.com or wherever books are sold. 
All right. Thank you to all of the listeners. As a reminder, you can find us on Twitter. You can follow him at FO underscore A shots. You can follow me at Matt Mano. The football rookie handbook is coming soon. We are working hard, putting the finishing touches on it. I am going back to that as soon as we finish up this podcast. And it is going to be the best football rookie handbook yet. Uh, we're really excited to have that out to everybody ahead of the non-existent combine. Aaron, what can the, the listeners find on footballoutsiders.com? Uh, like I said, those way too early projections will be up soon. Film room on the Tampa Bay defense, how important Devin White and Levante David were to taking away that first read in the middle of the field. Scramble for the ball, looking back on all of our predictions from the year. And next Monday, the awards balloting from our Football Outsiders Reader Awards, which were so smart picking Tampa Bay as the breakout team last year. We'll have to see which team they pick as the breakout team for 2021. If you're wise, I think that's a good place to look to, to find out what might what might be happening. Wisdom of crowds. As always, you can check out the free SIS Data Hub by visiting sisdatahub.com. For my co-host, Aaron Schatz, our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Matt Manicharian, and thank you for joining us for the latest episode of the Off the Charts Football Podcast.